Welcome to the program, everyone. My name is Dr. Mike Welland. I'm a computational material scientist here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. Uh, previously, I've worked in the United States. I've worked in European Union for a little while, and I'm very happy to be here today to co-host this podcast with my colleague, Larkin. I'm Larkin Moscrop. I am a hip waiter wearing ecologist turned nuclear advocate and currently a project manager here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. And I'm very excited to get to have these amazing conversations with scientists and engineers from across CNL. Welcome, everybody. Today we are joined Keys Niemer and Ali Siddiqui. I am pleased to have both of these guests on the podcast today. Ali has a master's degree in aerospace engineering, and he started his career at CNL in 2010 in thermal hydraulics. Throughout his career, he's moved around CNL in different areas, including corporate operations through SNT, but his love of advanced reactors has brought him back to SNT as our current head of directorate for advanced reactors. Alongside Ali today, we have Dr. Keys Niemer, who has been in the nuclear industry for his entire career, starting with his PhD in nuclear engineering. He's been involved in large, and some would say mega projects, across the nuclear landscape from design through construction. So he joined CNL as the SMR project manager just about three years ago, and I'm happy to have them both here today. Welcome. Thank Thanks you. very much. So let's, let's begin at the beginning. Uh, could you please tell us what an SMR is? Uh, sure. Um, so an SMR stands for small modular reactor, and the reactor part is like any other nuclear reactor that we have um, that uses uh, uranium or uh, nuclear material to uh, go through a fission process to create energy. Uh, the small part refers to these are much smaller than the normal size reactors we see on grid. Most normal reactors on grid are around 1,000 megawatts electric. Uh, small refers to less than 300 megawatts electric. The modularity piece uh, refers to the fact that these SMRs can be built in a factory and shipped to site where they can be uh, assembled in pieces or as a whole on site, similar to uh, Lego blocks or uh, the building of a uh, modular home. Ali, what would you add? Yeah, that's great. I, I, the only thing I'd add really is SMRs can span a large range under that 300 megawatt electric uh, limit. Uh, right from very, very small SMRs, a couple of megawatts electric, all the way up uh, through that size range up to the 300 megawatt electric. When you look at the larger 300 megawatt electric, or really anything above 50 megawatts electric, those are really being designed to go on grid to replace an existing fossil plant or support an existing grid, whereas those less than 50 megawatts are really designed to be used off-grid, whether they would be used in remote communities in the far north or uh, for uh, mineral and resource extraction. So this concept of modularity is not new to the nuclear industry. I know a lot of larger plants are also paired, for example. So how is that different than what you're talking about in terms of modularity? Yeah, so there's certainly some large reactors that are under construction, uh, nearing completion today, that have incorporated uh, modularity as part of the design with the intent of having major components that would be produced, shipped to the site, and then installed as individual pieces. So that piece is not new, but the idea here is uh, to be able to produce as much as possible within a factory setting, to, to roll out multiple components from a factory with uh, all the benefits of working indoors in climate control, uh, in a repetitive uh, quality control process, rather than doing a bespoke individual 
uh, mm-hmm. construction project at every individual site. Yeah. So bringing in that that factory concept to bring down costs, bring up uh, the speed at which you can build these units. Yeah, the goal was really to reduce that construction time. And, uh, and as Ali said, you would hope to have uh, improved efficiencies over time, building the same modules in a factory. So that should drive your costs down, uh, should re- increase your efficiency. And then the, the ultimate goal is to um, construct the reactor or the plant on site as, in as short a time as possible. Wait, what about the actual footprint of these SMRs. Typically, when you think about a nuclear reactor, you're driving down the highway, you see a very large plot of land. Are the the SMR concepts similarly sized? Do you still need so much space? Or can you compress it down to a much smaller volume that could actually be adjacent to a community? Long-term goal is definitely to uh, be able to build these adjacent to a community. And a lot, the majority of the SMR designs, they're actually building a large portion of the reactor or the plant underground. So the reactor itself is in a uh, containment building underground. Um, and then you're also trying to bring in the, the exterior footprint, your site boundaries with these smaller reactors, you're trying to reduce that also. Yeah, I would just add that uh, of all the different energy generation options, nuclear is already the most dense and mm-hmm. has the smallest uh, overall land footprint. And SMRs are really looking to shrink that even more so. So partially that's because the reactors themselves are just smaller. But part of that is the technology that's able to be incorporated in these new designs is aiming to really shrink the required site boundary to keep it as small as possible, even potentially right to the limits of the building or a very small fence around the building, rather than a larger exclusion zone that you'd have with more contemporary reactors. The move to a small modular reactor seems to be opposite to the, the old trend, which was bigger. Bigger, more powerful. Why? Why are we all of a sudden turning around and going the opposite direction? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Um, we, we went to larger reactors when we started building reactors. Um, you know, when they first started coming online in the 50s and the 60s, we went to larger because you're trying to reduce the dollars per kilowatt that you're producing. So a larger plant um, allows you to have a larger energy supply, which you know increases your denominator, which ultimately decreases your dollars per kilowatt. However, what we've seen over the last 20 years or 10 years for sure is that the new plants being built around the world, uh, particularly in the Western Hemisphere, they're taking longer to construct than, um, than we would like. And as a result, uh, that long, construction time is really increasing the cost for these large plants. So the thought is with a smaller reactor, you build them in a factory, you should be able to get a, a, increase your uh, efficiencies and pull the cost, reduce the cost that way. But overall, since they are smaller, they should be, the capital cost to build these should be significantly less than the capital mm-hmm. cost for a large reactor. And then if you reduce that construction time, that's really gonna help too. But then the operating cost, might be maybe the life cycle cost might be comparable, but perhaps the operating cost is is higher in some cases. Or the operating costs should come down also, and the reason is that with these new designs or for these smaller, we're expecting to have a much smaller workforce operating these plants, and the major cost at the large plants is your workforce, both from 
security, but also your maintenance, your O&M, the operators. So if you can reduce the number of workers, that's going to significantly reduce your, your operating costs over time. Yeah, effectively, you're, you're going from a paradigm of uh, larger plants to reduce costs to serial production to mm. reduce costs. Mm. And we've seen in the industry, in, in many fields uh, in industry, that as you build out further units uh, over time, you have a learning rate and you see a reduction in that capital cost. Uh, so that's certainly a part of the, the appeal of SMRs. Another thing I would note, you know, uh, large reactors are, are great. There's a lot of opportunities for large reactors but they are too big in some jurisdictions. Mm. There are many places in the world that need a smaller sized reactor. Even in Canada, there are fossil generation plants that are uh, existing today that are in that kind of size category, around 300 megawatts electric. And you, you really don't need to have 1,000 megawatt uh, yeah. reactors in those jurisdictions. And that 300 megawatt electric SMR is perfect to go in and replace those aging fossil plants uh, you can take advantage of the grid, the electricity and transmission lines that are already there. So instead of creating your steam using coal or natural gas, you uh, use a small modular reactor to, to uh, generate your steam. I guess with modularity though, and the, the idea of producing inside of a warehouse, that itself can have a supply chain and upfront capital investment. Um, there's been a lot of talk within kind of the nuclear sphere, I guess, about big versus small. And one of the pieces that the big nuclear would like to say is that, yeah, but the upfront capital for that factory and, and getting that efficiencies and getting that learning is going to be also really high. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, so, so that's a really important point. Uh, in every industry uh, that you, you look at with high capital costs, there has to be a business case. There has to be some de-risking. Um, there are enormous investments made in certain industries, you know, $10 billion for oil platforms or other major infrastructure, and that's privately funded and, and they secure capital to go ahead and, and build these things because they have a well understood market, they know what the product is, and that there's some certainties there uh, to, to invest in. So I think what's crucial with SMRs and, and what occupies a lot of our time is supporting the industry as it's emerging. There's a lot of uh, excitement and attention from multiple SMR vendors that are out there vying to be you know, among the first that bring their technology to market. There's also a really important role that's coming from the government that is uh, absolutely uh, supportive and putting out uh, documents and frameworks and including SMR uh, discussions within, for example, the recent federal budget in Canada, other framework documents like the climate change plan and the hydrogen strategy. So we're seeing, you know, this is a very exciting time, uh, but I think crucial in that is moving from uh, all those independent individual efforts to actual demonstrations of the technology. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where CNL has a really unique role to play. And what, what would CNL's role be in that first of a kind kind of demonstration? So, um, so our goal here at CNL is to be a hub for SMR uh, technology development and support, and that includes hosting a demonstration SMR reactor by the end of this decade. We have an invitation process where we have identified numerous sites at both Chalk River and our White Shelf site where we would be happy for a proponent or SMR vendor to come in and demonstrate their, their reactor on our site. 
And the advantage of demonstration is, or the reason we want to demonstrate is a couple things. One is nobody ever wants to be first in nuclear because <laughs> the first, it takes a long time and the costs are, you know, the first of a kind, there's always, you never know what you're going to get. So mm -hmm. everyone wants to be second because the kink should be worked out by that time. So we know nuclear here at CNL, uh, the communities surrounding our sites are accepting of nuclear. They, they embrace nuclear. We offer the opportunity for a vendor to come in without a lot of resistance that they might have if they went to a, a new greenfield site. Uh, we also have the infrastructure to be able to support a reactor here at Jock River or White Shell. The, the value of demonstration is that we, the vendors can invite potential clients or customers to come in and see firsthand how this reactor works. They can demonstrate their, their safety case to the CNSC. They can also demonstrate actually what their costs are going to be. Because right now, everyone believes that the costs will come down. But after you actually build it and operate it, you'll find out what your true operating costs are. Right. It will also allow the chance to figure out exactly how many operators are needed. Uh, at the For the first one, the CNSC is most likely going to want to see a number of operators um, and want to have operators on site. But as we look to deploy SMRs in the far north and, and regions that are remote, it's definitely envisioned that some of these reactors would be operated remotely. And you'd have a few people on staff, but they wouldn't actually be the operators. The operators would be operating the reactor, maybe a, a similar to how drones are flown right now. And um, the demonstration gives a chance for everyone to, over time, to be comfortable with those concepts and demonstrate them so that in 10, 15, 20 years, we can get to that position of off-grid remote operation. So right now, you've talked about remote, you've talked about modularity, you've talked about um, small. Can we talk a little bit about safety? Uh, when you talk about remote, that, that opens opportunities for different types of um, security risks compared to a plant that we have now, for example. But then also, there are some benefits that might be inherent in the modularity concept, but also in the small concept. So do you want to talk a little bit about the safety of these types of reactors and why that might enhance acceptance? It, it's important to note first that any reactor that's going to be licensed in Canada uh, has to pass a very, very high bar to ensure safety uh, for the public. That, that's the, uh, the number one driving focus of CNSC and certainly uh, is crucial to mention. That said, these new concepts in many cases are incorporating uh, advanced safety features such as uh, inherent or passive safety that really relies on the physics of the, uh, the way the reactor is constructed and designed to, uh, to handle any kind of upset condition mm. to cool the reactor in the event of something breaking or some issue. Uh, that's uh, you know, a different concept than the current fleet which ha has to rely in some cases on engineered safety systems. Now, engineered safety systems we have around us every day and re rely on them, and, and they have redundant backup systems and multiple different uh, operating approaches, so it's all very redundant and safe. But with SMRs, you have this opportunity with the small size to have more of that inherent uh, safety included in the design. Yeah, another way to think about it, just um, to build on what Ali said, is uh, think of a train crossing. So if we started out and we 
just have a uh, administrative control where you're across the train track, you have to you have a sign that's an administrative control safety feature that says get out and make sure a train's not coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, an active uh, solution would be you have a guard gate that comes down that stops you from coming across the track as the uh, train is coming. And that's similar to our our existing reactors in, in the day. We have a lot of engineered features that uh, uh, that we rely on for safety. But a passive design would be you build a bridge either over the railroad track or under the track, and that way you avoid the situation altogether. And that's what these some of these advanced reactors do. They actually, you can actually, the reactor as it starts to heat up, it will actually start to shut itself down uh, on its own due to the physics. And that is just a huge, huge advancement in safety. Now these, we've known these physics all along, and some of these reactors have been built back in the, and demonstrated as research reactors back in the 60s and 50s, 60s, 70s. But this is the first time that we're starting to see some of these uh, technologies to, to being deployed commercially. So just to pick up on something you just said then, when you mentioned advanced reactors, so the, the current fleet of reactors, of course, are, are light water mo- moderated and cooled. Uh, there's a whole field of advanced reactors, and actually we have a separate podcast that talks about those more in depth with Ali. Um, are the fleet of SMRs that are being considered, are those typically convention, more conventional technologies, or do they broach into these advanced reactor technologies? Well, let Ali answer that to start with, but let me, let's not forget our can-do fleet. Yes. Our can-do uh, fleet is not <laughs> well water. They're heavy water reactors. Excuse me. And, um, you know, our can-do fleet has been operating magnificently for years in Canada and around the world. And SMRs, I don't personally believe SMRs are going to uh, make can-do extinct. I, I think there's going to be the need for both large and small reactors in our future to, to meet our climate change goals and energy security needs. But the SMRs and some of these advanced reactors do offer a lot of benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a key point. Uh, but, you know, for the SMRs that exist out there today, you know, you could look at it uh, as a, a broad category that includes conventional type water reactors that have been shrunk down. Mm-hmm. And there's some real benefits that come from a new design that incorporates that proven technology. There's also uh, small modular reactors that are based on some of these uh, advanced reactor concepts with different fluids for cooling, uh, different safety principles. Uh, both are, are in that category of small modular reactors. There's actually a really wide variety of different designs that are being pursued. In Canada alone right now, there's about a dozen of these designs uh, of various types that are involved in the vendor design review process with uh, CNSC. And looking more broadly at the entire world, you know, there's well in excess of 50 different concepts that are really moving forward towards uh, deployment. So that, so it's a big space with a lot of different variety. Uh, in some cases, the technology is essentially evolutionary, building upon well-established water-cooled reactor technologies, such as boiling water reactors or pressurized water reactors. In other cases, it really is something that's uh, pushing the boundaries in, in a new space, like molten salt reactors or building on, uh, for example, sodium fast reactors uh, or high temperature gas. And some of the advantages of these uh, advanced designs, such as a high temperature gas or uh, molten salt reactors, is 
Uh, a lot of them are operating at um, lower pressures. They're not pressurized like a pressurized water reactor. Some of them are actually at atmospheric pressure. Uh, so that if there were an accident, it reduces the amount of uh, material that could be uh, pushed outside the mm -hmm. system due to lower pressures. But then the applications are really important because when you get a high temperature gas coming out of HDGR, uh, this gas is ideal, or these temperatures are ideal for uh, industrial processes uh, such as hydrolysis, electrolysis. Um, you can also create high temperature steam, which can be used uh, for uh, resource extraction. So the high temperatures, uh, otherwise you're, you're competing with other technologies that uh, cost a lot more to produce these high temperatures. So there's a lot of uh, advantages with the different applications and types of uh, reactors. So the outlook for SMRs for generating electricity looks very promising, but you were, you were talking about some of the uses of the high temperatures. Uh, maybe you can go into that and what else SMRs could be used for. So a nuclear reactor, it produces heat. And then the question is, what do you do with the heat? And uh, historically, we've used the heat to generate electricity. Uh, we generate steam, it goes through a steam turbine, and you generate electricity. But we also have the opportunity to, to just take the heat in its raw form uh, and use that for uh, applications such as district heating. So we can bring that into cities, towns, heat, the whole, you know, everyone's apartments. Um, this has been proven and used in uh, some Northern European countries, district heating that is. Then you can also use it for, uh, for greenhouses, uh, for heating greenhouses, and then the industrial applications that I referred to earlier. Yeah, I think that Keith sets on a great point with these very small reactors in, in remote regions. You know, there are not many options to decarbonize when you have uh, a winter that uh, has a couple of months a year where you have no sunlight. <laughs> uh, so your, your options are, are certainly a bit limited, right? Yeah. So in that sense, SMRs offers this opportunity to decarbonize these, these locations. Uh, and, and that's part of what the, the value proposition is for these small SMRs uh, to power these remote communities with an array of different uh, energy needs that they'll mm -hmm. have. Uh, part of it certainly is electricity, but part of it is just the heat itself. And so you're really getting uh, more utilization of energy from that reactor if you make use of that heat. Yeah, the existing reactors today, I mean, the reason you have these large cooling towers where the reactors are built next to rivers um, is because you're wasting or dissipating probably 60% of the, the energy in the heat as waste heat. Whereas these small modular reactors, uh, you still have the opportunity or you may still have to dissipate some of the heat, but you can do that in many cases with air condensers, coolers, instead of having to uh, put it into the environment is in, into lakes and streams. Um, and then you also have the opportunity to, to use and utilize a much, much larger percentage of that energy. So I know that heat is a really difficult sector to decarbonize. So I think that's really great that that's a possibility for small modular reactors. And I think generally what's, what's cool about small modular reactors is also how they can be integrated with the grid um, and also different types of energy. So I know that there's some research that's going on about using small modular reactors as well as renewable energy kind of within the same grid. Do you want to talk a little bit about the work that's going on in that space? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, some of the work we're doing at CNL in this space uh, is with our uh, modeling group, with our hybrid energy system optimization model, we would call it the HESO model. Uh, and this is a tool that incorporates 13 different uh, energy generation technologies, four different energy storage technologies, and we can use it to specify a problem with a set amount of energy requirements, uh, for example, for a year at a, a remote mine site. And then we can run the, the system to determine what the optimum mix of different energy generation technologies would be to reach a certain optimum point. And we can optimize for lowest cost, we can optimize for uh, lowest greenhouse gas emissions, or some combination of the two. And, and this is a really valuable tool because each one of these types of power plants, each type of technology has uh, advantages, disadvantages, limits, you know, various constraints, how quickly the power can come on and off, how much wind is blowing in a given location on a typical day over the course of a year. Uh, all of these things can be included and you can then get a really informed system level optimum decision. Now, this is hard to do from first principles because each one of these uh, competing technologies has, uh, ha has many moving parts. But through this analysis, we've shown with various case studies and, uh, and feasibility studies that in most cases that the optimum mix includes a, a pretty substantial amount of nuclear in the form of SMRs along with renewables and in some cases still requires a very small amount of backup diesel. Uh, which is an interesting finding. Yeah. You know, that amount of, uh, of flexibility that you get from something you can turn on and off is quite valuable. Now, there are ways to get rid of that completely by overbuilding uh, a little bit on SMRs or having capacity to turn on and off the use of that electricity or heat for other applications that you don't need to power at all times. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, you know, looking at it as an overall system, we actually see lowest cost comes with a mix of all of those generation options. And then how does energy storage fit in with SMRs? So that's another piece. I mean, the diesel was, was one option to cut it on and off. Energy storage is a, a, another option for that. Uh, energy storage is, uh, that whole technology is uh, rapidly growing today. A lot of the SMRs, they actually include energy storage in their their design. So, for instance, the, uh, the SMR that is uh, envisioned to be built here at uh, Chalk River by Global First Power is a five megawatt electric high temperature gas reactor. This reactor will have a helium as its primary coolant, but that helium then goes to a heat exchanger and uh, heats a loop of molten salt. And in that molten salt, in that loop, they have some tanks for energy storage. So, and then from that loop, you would go through another heat exchanger to a tertiary uh, loop that could then produce your uh, uh, electricity or, or low temperature hot water for district heating. But, but that center loop uh, is where they have an energy storage already built into the design. And, and several of the uh, reactors designs being uh, contemplated include these type of energy storage systems. When I think about small modular reactors, I really can't help but think about submarine reactors. So are they the same? Are they different? Am I completely... Well, well you're absolutely right, Larkin. I mean, SMRs have been around since nuclear subs have been used by the different navies around the world. So SMRs are there. They're in many ports today. It's nothing new. It's just uh, 
being deployed commercially is the, the new concept, I would say. So it sounds like SMRs are pretty great. Uh, but I was wondering, what are the disadvantages or the obstacles that we're really facing with having a new type of technology, possibly with an advanced SMR, versus, or even just smaller construction of our current conventional reactors? With respect to some of the challenges or the why they just can't be deployed immediately, uh, there are a couple challenges. First of all, there's public acceptance, okay? Uh, with any nuclear reactor, um, that was one of the reasons we were hosting here at Chalk River, is that the public acceptance is, is, is good here. Uh, communities who have not grown up around nuclear power plants, there's a reluctance. And it's not that people are necessarily against them, it's that in many cases they just don't understand the technology, they don't understand the benefits, and we need to do a better job of educating the different communities. And, and once again, the demonstration reactor is a perfect way to educate people. The second piece is uh, the licensing. These reactors, as Ali said, all the reactors in Canada and around the world, they have to be licensed here in Canada by the CNSC. And these technologies are, are different than can do. So they have to go through the process of licensing these new technologies for the first time. Uh, that takes a little bit of time uh, just because these technologies, they have to bring their safety case and demonstrate their safety case to the CNSC. Uh, to ensure that they they are operating safely. Any first of a kind plant is gonna take time. How long is um, the question? And uh, you would expect to see after we have a couple of these different technologies built, I would hope that the licensing time would be reduced um, that it would take because you would hopefully be replicating and not have to relicense the same technology every time. Now, you would have to license the actual site. Mm -hmm. And so with multiple sites, the question is, how is that going to happen? And in the CNSC, they're still working through that and the industry's working through that today. We, we don't have all those answers today. Um, and then the third piece, the other challenge kind of goes with the public acceptance, but it's the uh, is policy, government policy, okay? As Ali mentioned, we've seen this year the first time that money is actually in the federal government to support uh, nuclear. That's huge. That's sending a message to investors in, in private industry that nuclear is supported by the government. So earlier you were talking about raising the quality of life potentially for, uh, for remote communities through SMRs. Uh, and I think that really hits on the topic of energy equity and being having increased accessibility to this energy. Uh, so that, that's an interesting thought because, you know, when we're thinking about the increased electricity demand, we're kind of in the back of our mind, we're almost thinking about uh, well-developed communities, but there is also that a very large proportion that we're hoping to, to increase the quality of life. So I, I'm hoping, I'm wondering if you can talk about the, the projected energy needs moving into the future and how SMRs kind of fit into that puzzle. Yeah, so, so that's a crucial question. And looking ahead for meeting net zero targets, uh, being able to decarbonize the entire country, uh, and, and even, you know, more important, decarbonize the entire world, uh, it's a daunting task. The amount of uh, electricity that's going to be required is uh, enormous, and I uh, can't really overstate. Mm. It, it's, it's really an enormous challenge. That said, you know, I, I think all credible models point to double or triple the electricity production of what we have today in Canada to reach net zero. 
And to do that, you need everything to mm. solve that problem. Mm. You need renewables, uh, you definitely need nuclear, uh, you need everything that you can get to help uh, contribute. Uh, and so looking at that, I think demonstration projects are key uh, to be able to show that you can license these reactors, you can build them on time uh, in a reasonable time frame, that you can solve any technical hurdles that you have, which you always have with the initial deployment of a first-of-a-kind technology, yeah. get it to the point where it is something that is a commercially viable concern, and then copy and paste and roll that yeah. out to where it needs to go. And I think, you know, as a, as a rich country, as a, as a country that's benefited from industrialization and, and benefited from nuclear energy for the last many, many decades, uh, one of the things that we can do to help the world is actually bring these costs down. Yeah. So yeah. going through demonstration projects, going through the effort to commercialize a technology and bring costs down to the point where it's competitive yeah. with other uh, energy generation like fossil fuels, that makes it that much more attractive to emerging economies and other countries. Uh, and, and there's lots of reasons to do that. It's the right thing to do. Uh, there's also a real economic incentive. It, it looks like with the rollout of uh, huge amounts of new generation capacity around the world, it's an enormous economic opportunity. And I think that's why you see so many different SMR startups who are developing different niche applications for these technologies. You know, the demand is, is absolutely going to be huge. And on the flip side, just the the benefits to mankind and to the world from this. So we, we can talk about decarbonization and, and the the greenhouse piece of it, but taking the energy into these areas around the world that don't currently have access to electricity is huge. If we can provide clean water and food, that will allow people to become better educated, yeah. allow people to to have a lot of the things that we take for granted yeah. and it you know ideally in my ideal world you know the need for wars and poverty that could all go away and you know smrs could be a part of that so you know maybe we should start saying smr is going to save the world i love any podcast that goes from talking about nuclear science and technology in depth <laughs> to ending with social justice so i really appreciate both of you spending your time with us yeah. today that was really informative and i'm really looking forward to maybe diving a little bit more in the future into uh, sustainability smrs and social justice so thank you very much ali and keys it's been a pleasure yeah thank, thank you very much, very much. thanks